Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today on American Glutton, my guest is Anna Victoria. Anna helps people achieve their fitness goals and improve their well-being through her app called FitBody and on her YouTube channel with meal plans, workouts, and coaching. You can find her at AnnaVictoria.com or at AnnaVictoria on Instagram. Anna Victoria, welcome to the American Glutton podcast. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to talk to you because I have a wife and four daughters and <laughs> you are heavily in the space of women's health. Yeah. And often I don't, you know, really know how to talk about that because I'm not a, a woman. I'm a dude. <laughs> If it wasn't right. clear. And, and, and I think it's really interesting. And I think there's a lot, um, that goes into being a gal that I can't totally understand. So I'm always, always really interested in hearing about ideas that will have never occurred to me. Yeah. Well, I think it's great that you're, that you're, you know, open to this conversation and wanting to learn more about it. So. You had some health scares that started you on your, on your path, right? Correct. I did. Can you tell us what those were? Yeah, so pretty much it was in my early 20s. Um, I remember it was my senior year of college. I was going to my first class of the day. I got out of my car and all of a sudden I keeled over with such an, an intense pain in my stomach. I couldn't stand upright. And I went to the emergency room. I actually had to call my sister and be like, hey, you need to drive me. Like, I, I can't walk right now. I can't stand. And um, pretty much... Uh, Long story short, it was just some, you know, digestive and GI issues that had been building up for so long that it that was just really the moment where my body was like, eh, we're done, <laughs> you know. And um, at the time, the doctors really didn't ask me anything about like what I was eating or if I was, you know, taking care of my body. They just said, hey, here's this medicine, <laughs> you know, and I took it because I was prescribed it. But I could tell that it was always just covering up an underlying issue. And that underlying issue 
was that I was eating fast food three times a day, pretty much from the time I could drive myself through the drive through into my early 20s. So, um, yeah. I used to pine for, for fast food prior to having a car. And then once I got a car, that was pretty much my life too. It just was so easy and so, you know, immediately rewarding, uh, physically. I, I don't know how we escape that without a lot of real work, but, but so, so it was really just the dietary thing that you changed. Were you, were you heavy? You know what? I wasn't. And this is a part of the problem, like not only for me personally, but I think with society is that I looked fine. You know, like I was someone that they would call the term is not, um, people aren't very fond of this term anymore, but I was what you would call skinny fat where, you know, I still looked (laughs) relatively thin, but I was soft, you know, right. and like my, my belly was definitely like the, you know, my problem area and where I did hold weight. And I was a little insecure about it, but not enough to do anything about it, you know? So, um, and you know, like I said, that's one of the problems because a lot of times people who are quote unquote skinny fat or look fine, they may be just as unhealthy, if not more than someone whose genes are not in their favor. And, you know, it causes them to, you know, have their eating habits be more visible from the outside and they get criticized more, you know, even though maybe their health is better than someone whose genes, you know, are on their side. So yeah, that's, that's another conversation, but definitely, um, I look quote unquote fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it is, I, but I think that's a good point that some people could wear their malnutrition as plaque on their arteries and have no outward right. signs of it, or you could wear it as excess fat. And I think that just, uh, you know, the way the body uh, reacts to, and, and it is largely genetics, um, to the abundance of, of fats and carbohydrates within the standard diet will determine how you wear that malnutrition. I think it can't always just be over fat that determines it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Genetics plays a huge role in it, uh, for better or worse, you know, depending on, on the person. But I think that that doesn't make it okay in any one case or the other. You know, like it shouldn't just be left at, hey, I look fine, so why should I do anything? And that's that's where I was. And it really took that trip to the emergency room. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't, that wasn't even the wake-up call. It was kind of the months and the months of like, this still, you know, is an issue and I'm taking medicine. There has to be something else here for me to really um, get real with myself and take a look at what I was putting into my body. Yeah. And as far as medicine goes, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe the last thing I read said that the, the number one most prescribed drug in America is statins. And that is largely due to the way we eat, or yeah, if, if not I, entirely I, due to the way we eat. Right. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think especially with like American food culture, you know, like um, we tend to, I feel like we go to such extremes, you know, it's either like someone is super, super, super into eating healthy and, or super, super not. And I knew that for me, when I started going down that path, of, okay, I'm, you know, I'm getting to be an adult. I need to start taking care of myself. I no longer am going to be having my like teenage metabolism um, as a crutch, you know, 
how, what, what do I want to do? And I always knew that I didn't want to go to that other extreme of like only eating healthy because like, I mean, if you ask me personally, like that's not a life I want to live. <laughs> you know, I don't want to feel like I can never enjoy my favorite foods ever again. Um, and so what I, what I started doing early on was um, focusing on 80-20, which is where I'd eat whole natural foods 80% of the time. So the other 20%, I could still indulge and keep my sanity. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great um, and very moderate system. The, the the extremes get weird, especially here in Los Angeles, where first you got to you got to factor in like the the ideas of wealth and like how it is just easier to eat the way like in an ideal sense when you have more money, because like at the end of the day, organic is more expensive pastured anything is more expensive it doesn't necessarily have to be that way but that's the way it's shaken out as of today um but you have you see these kind of fringe extremes and i suppose they've permeated society at large but being in los angeles i always think of this as the like the epicenter and we we see like you know the explosion of Erwan and everything's pastured and, yeah. and then it gets down to like, you know, bell peppers are bad and, and the skin and right. seeds of a cucumber are poisonous. And it's, and it's just like, how, how the hell do we, you know, you and I are having a conversation about eating only McDonald's versus like eating McDonald's, you know, four times a week instead of three times a day. Right. Right. Which is a little yeah, bit more I, moderate. Yeah, I think that, you know, oh gosh, I feel like the U.S. is just, we're such a consumerist society that like everything is marketable, you know, and everything, there's there's an agenda behind it. And like you said, Erwan, which is like so expensive to shop there, you know, but like it's, it is selling kind of almost that lifestyle. And I feel like that's what people want to buy into a lot. Um, and along the way, they, I don't know whether it's um, inadvertently or intentionally, or it's actually like intentionally, but they demonize certain foods, you know, and even healthy foods at some point to where, you know, you feel pressured to buy into the organic, you know, um, oh gosh, there could be so many labels slapped on so many foods. Um, to where it really overcomplicates it. And I feel like that's almost the point at which we have so many options and there's, you know, we're the age of information that there's almost too much information out there and, and too much of a good thing can be bad. Yeah. The marketing and aesthetics that resonates with me. And then I go down a, a weird spiral of like, I cannot relate to the marketing of Erewhon and I don't feel that I fit in there and whether I want to be an absolutist with health or not I can't walk into that store and then I start to like psychoanalyze myself and go well it's because I grew up fat and I never felt comfortable because I was walking uh -huh. into this place going like you can all see that I'm not your typical customer who's in like search of absolute health right so I don't belong yeah. here and then when I think about like a one-off mom and pop burger shop that we have in the Valley out here, I think like, yeah, that's, that's the marketing I associate with. <laughs> right. Like I can hang out in the parking lot there and get burgers and, and it's going to be kind of a surprise because it's not a chain, you know? Um, right. I also wonder about health and, and here's why. 
I think when we get into the conversation of health, there are certain things that are subjective as far as like the absolutes go. Like if we're going towards absolute health, obviously there are ways to be more healthy and less healthy. But I do know for me in the very beginning, it wasn't health that I was looking for. It was like I was just done being as uncomfortable as I was. and. The way to fix that was through changing my body. Um, and I don't want to, I don't, I, I feel I'm, I'm concerned somewhat with telling people they must be healthy because at the end of the day, I think like, you know, if you have type one diabetes, then you have that, you know what I mean? Nothing you yeah, and I right. say are going to change that. Um, right. And so these ideas of absolute health and also like, I don't want to miss somebody by going, uh, you know, health is the ultimate goal. And it's like, well, that does, that dude just doesn't care about health, but you could go like, you know, like you talked about discomfort was the changing factor. And through that, you discovered that health could change your comfort level. I think that for me makes more sense. Um, in like a tangible way of making some kind of change. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I actually love this conversation and this angle because you're right. A lot of people, you know, say like, oh, well, let's just do it to be healthy. But like, what, what is that? <laughs> you know, like what, I'm sure like there's some markers of like, you know, optimal health. There's also mental health, you know, that comes into the conversation. But, you know, for me, like, you know, like I said, it was just really like I was, I was having, you know, a lot of GI and digestive issues and I never grew up hearing anything about food having an impact on your body one way or the other, which like blows my mind today. But like it, it is what it, you know, it is what it was. Um, and, you know, I, I remember like thinking, as I mentioned, like, okay, my belly was bigger than I liked it to be, but it wasn't bad enough to where I was going to do anything about it. And I also had convinced myself in my mind, like, well, no amount of hard work is ever going to change it. That's just my body type. You know, like I had just kind of accepted, like, this is my life. Like I'm never, ever going to have a flat stomach. So like, why even try? And that coupled with you know, not having the education. I think a lot of it comes down to just like the education of like what food, you know, can or can't do for your body. You know, I just never thought that there was any point in going down that path of eating healthy. It just seemed way too much work than it was, that it was ever worth it for me. Um, I do want to say, and this is kind of going back to your, uh, what you brought up in the very beginning is that you have daughters and you have a wife. Um, you know, society is a, is, a, is a cruel place sometimes, and especially for women. Um, and I've always wondered, you know, why do I not have like body image issues or an eating disorder or any of these other things that like now that I am in health and fitness, I see how prevalent it is. And I was raised by a single father. Um, I also grew up, I'm one of seven, but I grew up most closely, I, we're, I'm number six. And so, you know, by the time I was growing up, all the older ones were already out of the house. So I grew up close, most closely to my brother. So two, two men in the house, no one ever brought up my body. 
like, like if, if I was in shape, if I wasn't in shape, it was not a conversation. It was never, it just was never mentioned. And I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to date you too much, Anna, but tell me how old, I mean, yeah. you don't have to tell me how old are you. Were you growing up with social media? No, okay. <laughs> I have no problem saying I'm 32. I just turned 32 a few weeks ago. Um, I just want to get a bet, no, a picture of like w- yeah. what this time period was. Okay, go. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So early 2000s, you know, you could say definitely. I mean, I used MSN Messenger and AOL in the early days, right. you know. But not um, what it is today. So, there was no TikTok. Exactly. And I actually, that that's so great that you brought that up because like, even as a woman, like I have to acknowledge that like, it's a different day and age today for young girls. It's completely different, you know, with all the pressure, not just the pressure that they have, but like the access to other people in their perfect lives on social media, you know, and the comparison game, like that's a completely different story that like I didn't grow up with. And like, I hate to say this, but like, I'm so happy I didn't. But for that reason, like it makes me even more passionate about like sharing, you know, like my message of like, just like not chasing perfection or just not even, you know, getting into that whole Instagram perfect life. Like on my Instagram, like I always try to share like, you know, this is, this is what my body looks like sitting down. It's normal. I have goals. I'm not saying I'm fat, but like my body is not always cause I'm in fitness and like a lot of my pictures are posed and flexed and tightened, but that's not how I am. My, that's my 1% of my life, you know? So, so anyways, like, yeah, that's a, a really great point. But for me, like, you know, I just know it was never a conversation. It was never about like, Hey, don't eat that. You know, you know, it's going to make you fat. And I, you know, I do think that that's one part of the conversation or one part of the, the weight that you could possibly approach, you know, or not approach <laughs> kind of in this case with, with, with girls. But yeah, the whole conversation about TikTok and social media, that's a whole other thing. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I honestly don't know where I fall exactly on this and how to navigate it. But it's so true that I think when you create a stigma for someone, it's really Mm -hmm. impactful you know, and, and if you put somebody's attention on something and the fact that you didn't have that is so great. And I just wonder if that was empowering in a way that we couldn't even guess that just like not sticking a person's attention on something is somehow empowering. Do you know what I mean? 100% because I hear, so I've, I've had this conversation, you know, on social media and with my community before and so there's been so many stories of women saying, you know, when my insecurity issues started, it was when I was seven years old and uncle Rob poked at my stomach and was like, ha ha, you're growing up. You're, you know, you're gaining some weight. Like in that instant, that one person making that one comment creates a lifelong fixation for yeah. that, for that girl. Like, oh, so, yeah, I, I, I can I utterly relate. I had the same thing with my grandparents. It never occurred to me. And then, I I went on a trip and spent time with them and every at every meal and at the beginning of every day my weight was discussed and I kind of came away left that trip going like with a with a whole kind of like condition that I wasn't aware that I had you know right 
And I think that um, it's hard because in, in today's day and age, like, um, you know, I, I'm pregnant now. I'm 36 weeks on Friday. Wow. <laughs> so ready to pop. And, is this and, your first uh, kid? Having, it is. And it's a girl. That's exciting. <laughs> So, yeah. So, you know, I, I hear these conversations about how do you talk about, um, you know, how, how do you compliment your daughter? Like, instead of saying she's pretty, tell her she's smart and th- this and that. But I have a sister, you know, one of the seven who has two daughters. And she's like, yeah, I get that. But like, I want to tell her that she looks beautiful in that outfit. Like, it does make her happy. Like, so where is that line, you know, of like focusing and, and, and complimenting someone, you know, a little girl on her looks without attributing too much importance or value to it, but also, you know, not being, in, but not being afraid to give those compliments too, you know, it's, it's, we're kind of in a funny spot right now with that. Yeah, I mean we're in a we're in a real moral quandary of a spot. The because I mean, look, there's there's also like, you know, kids talk to each other and if if you try to withhold like sugary cereal, they're going to hear that sugary cereal yeah. exists and then it's going to be yeah. this taboo thing that they want and the more you restrict something, the more kind of forbidden fruit kind of it becomes and it is just a very tricky spot. I love, I love that your dad and brother just—it just didn't occur to them to bring it up one way or another, and and that that seems to have worked really well for you. I am curious yeah. when you kind of went off of fast food, how difficult was it, and did you kind of get any any were there? did you go through like a detox period or anything like that? And was it hard? And what was it like establishing new habits and rituals around eating? Yeah. So, you know, when I first started, you know, diving that journey, I had actually just moved to China. <laughs> so I was living in Shanghai with my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband. And I do have to say, as bizarre as this sounds, it almost was an easier transition for me to be in a completely, obviously new country, but just new environment to be making these lifestyle changes because, um, you know, it was just something for me to kind of channel my energy into because the first few months in China were um, kind of miserable and not very enjoyable, just acclimating to the life there. And um, so that's like kind of one aspect of it. It did. It was something that like I really was kind of channeling my energy into, but that didn't make it any easier. Like I had of me flailing on the bed, kicking like my legs and telling my boyfriend, like, I do not want to eat this chicken and sweet potato. Like, leave me alone. Like, can we please just order McDonald's? Cause in, in Shanghai, everything delivers. And like, <laughs> I literally reverted to like a, my a five, like five-year-old antics of like screaming, like, at how much I hated it. And I feel like that, I feel like it was more of a mental detox for me than anything physically. I don't, I definitely had like some headaches here and there, but it wasn't anything too extreme. It was, I mean, sure, my cravings, you know, like I still to this day, this was in um, December 2012, and we're now, gosh, July 2020. To this day, I love junk food I it's what I grew up on it's it's, it's what's nostalgic for me and so I'm never not going to like it and so in the beginning like it just it was really hard to 
you know, not default for that every day, especially when we were in a place Uber Eats wasn't a thing back then. Now it is. So now things deliver here too. But being there and being able to have everything delivered, it was, you know, really tough. Um, so, you know, we, we were, you know, like I said, we were in a new environment, so we could focus on it. Um, it didn't make it any easier, but in a way, I guess it kind of just depends on what way you look at it. In some ways it did, in some ways it, it didn't. And I think that that can probably ring true to anyone, you know, in any scenario they're in. It just kind of depends on the perspective. So For sure. I mean, it's almost like one of the principles of like re- rehabilitation. And I, I'm, not, I'm not even making the analogy that drugs and food are the same, but like environmentally uh, taking yourself out of the environment that's kind Mm -hmm. of dangerous is a big, big part of like being able to start anew. And I cannot imagine the, the pitfalls involved in being in a new country and trying to eat healthy, not, I don't know if you spoke Chinese at the time or what, or, but like, you know what McDonald's is. I think that's pretty right. universally true around the globe. Yeah. But trying to figure out sourcing foods that you really understand would be tough. Um, but you were going to have to do that anyway. Yeah. So I can totally see that it would be both more difficult and kind of more easy at the same time. Like uh, unusual yeah unusual problems but also refreshing and easy weird that's yeah. a that's a good thing so anybody who wants to do a radical change move to china no um it's yeah, not, it's not right. necessary i was just gonna say like they do like as i mentioned that like mcdonald's delivers they they have like a deliver delivery culture of like almost all goods because it's so crazy to drive there um, so they did deliver groceries, and I do think that that was another thing that really helped us. And again, this is 2012, so like Amazon Prime didn't exist, and today it does. But for us, it was very new uh, grocery delivery, and that is something that did really help us kind of, you know, set our intentions of okay, you know, not going into a store and impulse buying. You right. know, it was more sitting at a computer you know, and saying, okay, I'm only going to order healthy foods and only healthy foods is what arrives to my house and, and is in my house. So, so I do think that that's another aspect of it that, that did help us that, Hey, thankfully today in the U S we have that uh, luxury now as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think there's something, some truth also to, you know, the idea for me of, of, of going to cook something or going to a grocery store while hungry, I make a lot of bad yeah. decisions. Um, but, oh, yeah. but if I can kind of remove myself from that and do it online, I'm slightly more coherent because I'm going to stick to my plan. I'm not kind of looking around and going like, well, oh, th- these bagels look great. I'm just going to grab those, you, you know. Um, right. It's easier when it's just a screen on my computer. Although I personally don't like grocery shopping online because I'm never super pleased with the produce that whoever's picking it. You I know? totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I like to squeeze my onions and make sure they're firm, you know, and I I don't like droopy lettuce and stuff like that. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So you make this radical change and then what inspired you? And and, and I want to talk about, too, because I think this idea is really key. And I just think it's a, a little bit of a perspective shift for people 
but you're really into like not working out and changing because of your disgust with yourself, but out of some affection for yourself, right? Yeah, I I am. Personally, I am like, and I always like from the get go when I want to start working out, like I just knew like, I'm going to strength train. Like I knew that I wanted to feel strong and empowered. It was never about like, oh, I'm just going to hop on the cardio machine and try to lose as much fat as I can. Like if I was going to be putting in work at the gym, like I wanted to like sculpt my body, you know, in a way. And, and I, I, I'm very, I don't know where that came from. Like me understanding that concept early on, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but you know what I have to say, that was my personal approach. But now after being in the industry for several years and seeing the reasons why other people join, that is kind of few and far between the large majority do join for aesthetic reasons. And I kind of, in the beginning, my messaging was very like, you know, don't care what you look like, like just do it because you want to feel strong and healthy because that's what was the case for me. And that's fine. A lot of people resonate with that. And that helps a lot of people. Like I would constantly get messages of someone saying like, finally, someone who is promoting health and fitness for sustainable reasons, you know, that aren't going to fizzle out because, you know, chasing six pack abs is exhausting and unrealistic. Um, But at the same time, you know, posting, whether it's my, my personal transformation, that was mainly more of a body recomposition transformation than like fat loss or sharing some of my own, you know, uh, they're called SDG girls uh, um, that do like my fit body app. Well, they're, they're transformations. There are a lot of people that are going to cling on to that physical kind of representation of the journey. And that's what they want. And I've had to learn to be okay with that. And the reason why is because if I don't, if I don't allow or nurture kind of some element of aesthetics in my community, but like what I know is deep down, my messaging is going to be like, Hey, absolutely go chase whatever physical goals you have, but also like be sure that you're focusing on the mental and emotional aspects. And we call them non-scale, like non-scale goals or non-scale wins. Um, Sorry, non-scale victories. (laughs) That's the right term. Um, you know, if I don't do that, and if I just completely shun any mention of aesthetics, they're going to go to someone else who they're only about aesthetics and they're never going to get that messaging of, Hey, there's a lot more to a fitness journey than aesthetics. And actually, if you want to have a long-term healthy relationship with yourself and your body and your fitness journey, it has to be more about, it has to be more than just about aesthetics. So it took me some time of realizing that like not everyone, it's not so easy for everyone to just like not care so much about what they look like. Um, that is probably the minority. And, um, you know, to be okay with that conversation of aesthetic, of not demonizing aesthetics, you know? A hundred percent. But I also think there's something to the idea that, I look, I do believe that it's just a point of view. And a point of view can be changed. Like we all have the ability to change our point of view. However, that said, sometimes that change in perspective requires a little bit of action on our part. So if if you need somebody to go and do something towards an aesthetic goal wherein they learn to appreciate their body 
that's as yeah. valid as just simply changing your mind and deciding to to like your body. You know what I mean? So I think that's very I valuable. Yeah. And and I want to say too, like, I'm not saying that like, I didn't care at all about my own aesthetics in my personal journey. Like I was absolutely like flexing in the mirror and like admiring and marveling at like, wow, my body is changing and I like it, you know, like, I I don't want to represent this as like, oh, I never cared at all. Like, you know, kind of holier than thou, like type of view, like not at all. Like I, I like, I'm human. I think any human is going to appreciate those changes. I think that for me, the distinction is that I don't place those in such a high regard to where I'm going to allow my mental health to suffer as a result, or I'm not going to allow my social life to suffer as a result. Like I like kind of the eight, going along with the 80, 20 mentality. I've always thought like, you know, why would I, you know, work so hard in the gym and be proud of my body and like never allow myself to actually enjoy life. Like there's, um, there's another quote, uh, don't miss out on 95% of your life just to wait 5% less. Yeah. You know? So I, I think that it is, I never did this when I was 500 pounds, but I did start doing it, um, kind of, uh, analytically intentionally started to do it when I was like 350 and that was that I would look in the mirror and I would be so down on myself that I would just go, okay, is there anything that I can find that isn't horrific? And I would find something. And honestly, usually it was my traps. Like I have a big affinity for big traps. I think they look cool <laughs> and make you look tough and stuff. And so I would go, okay, my traps aren't horrendous. And, and then, you know, I would find that I could gradually change how I felt about myself to the point where I was walking away from my time in the mirror, not thinking I was just a piece of crap, you know? Um, right. That still applies today, almost 100 pounds lighter. I still can look in the mirror and be like, ugh, and have to talk myself into attributes, physical attributes that I don't think are just garbage, you know. I, so I don't, I think that that's, that can be true. I think it's largely our attitude and and it is all just a point of view, you know. Yep. It can yep. be as real or as unreal as we decide it is. Yeah, 100%. And um I think actually like being pregnant, my body is growing a lot right now in many different directions. And, you know, there's another conversation about, you know, body image and pregnancy, which I I won't go down, you know, into that level too much. But I actually think that I unintentionally did kind of what you just said. All right. That's what I have been doing is like, you know, everything on Instagram is about angles and especially in fitness. And it's something that I've, you know, I've gotten really good at. Not being not pregnant now that I am pregnant, those things are a little bit harder to find, yeah. you know. And but I, 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 I think I found them. I take, you know, I, I've shared some pictures that I feel like okay, I this is a flattering pregnancy picture. But there's a lot of them that aren't. And what I, what I've noticed, what I found myself doing is gravitating towards those really good angle pictures and kind of fixating on those and having and kind of infiltrating my mind with more of like that you know, kind of more of the reality than like the super non-flattering, you know, things. And so I, that's actually funny you say that because I think I just noticed myself doing that um, unintentionally, but I think it's, it's a really great tactic because 
it is almost primarily the the messaging and, and what we tell ourselves, the story that we tell ourselves of how we do or don't look. And, you know, the power of that perspective is, you know, probably the strongest thing than, you know, what the reality is. I totally agree. I think the whole game is our story. And I think yeah. that the idea that we're not in control of that story is largely overlooked. Like yeah. it's all us, like at the end of the day. Now there's a lot of external stuff that we can be unaware of, but I still think it's our, it's, it's our perspective for our, it's up to us to change our minds about it, to find out new information, to use that information, to disregard that information. You know, like those things exist whether we like them to or not. Um, and, but the story is all us, I think, right. you know, um, no, I, I, I do like, I do like this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, I think it's healthier... And and I think we talked about this a little bit on your show, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately, but this um, health at every size thing, like I get into a weird place where I'm like, I, I'm happier knowing uh, a little girl with a, with a, with a tummy is completely confident with a cutoff shirt showing her tummy. I think that's a better um place to exist than if that little girl felt she had to wear a sweatshirt to cover herself up in the dead of summer um but i but i don't think that 
telling that little girl that change is impossible is the right thing or that the desire to change is harmful because not desiring to change is being stagnant. Like, what is that? What do we do? I just don't understand it. Do you, does that make sense to you? Yeah. And, you know, I remember when we chatted about this on my, on my podcast, I really appreciated hearing your point of view because you were someone that was, you know, at one time obese. And as someone who never has been, I almost feel like, well, who am I to say, you know, like, who am I to have much of an opinion on this? Um, but, you know, I feel like... I think your opinion is as valid as anyone's. They're all valid. So please. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I just, I'm, I'm such a middle of the road type person. Like I always, I'm not, I grew up with someone in my family who's very extreme, very, very, very extreme. And so I kind of always grew up with that, looking at that, like, but that's not the whole story, you know? And so I've all, I'm just, I feel like out of a survival mode (laughs) you know put myself in the middle to always just really look at both sides and so I feel like you know the messaging like you said of like young girls like you know just being confident and owning their bodies like I think that is amazing and absolutely needed and as far in thinking for adult women you know I don't I never um I never identified with the fitness mentality and messaging of shaming someone into losing weight from the very beginning. Like when I started working with clients and like just even sharing my own approach, like I just never thought like screaming in someone's face and telling them how fat they were is what would work. And so, you know, what would work is saying, Hey, you know, at least in my opinion, what could work for some is, you know, is like you said, you know, the whole health at every size, messaging but I feel like kind of like stage one <laughs> level one of it because there there's different levels and um are there levels to an extreme that are harmful um well I think extremes on any end are harmful you know can't can be harmful I think that they you know don't they they they, they usually hurt the majority you know and um so I think that I, I don't want to feel like I'm tiptoeing around it, um, you know, but unfortunately, like people are, will probably be, you know, they'll find anything to, to be uh, upset about. But the truth is that, for, you know, there's, I don't think that there's health at every single size. I do think that there are points at which someone is um, objectively unhealthy. Okay. Now, does that mean that I have any right to tell them what to do with their health? No. You know, I'm not that person. I'm not that person's doctor. That conversation should be between them and their doctor and have that be it. Do I see women who are on one extreme that are confident and owning it? Yes. And and it it does make me happy because I think that there, it's been too long that for, I don't want to even just say for women. And this is why I love having this conversation with you as a man, because a lot of times men are excluded from this conversation, whether it's about insecurities or body positivity or whatnot. Um, you know, both men and women have been told for too long to be ashamed about one thing or another. And, you know, the conversation about how, how damaging is that to their mental health and where does that fall on the spectrum of playing into the overall conversation of health? I can't say, but I think that it is a worthy 
thing to have a conversation about or at least be aware of. So, you know, I think that it's, I do appreciate and like seeing women of all sizes own their bodies and wear crop tops no matter their size because, you know, it's, I think it's, we've, we've been in a society for too long telling people that that's not okay and that's not working. <laughs> you know, like obviously shaming people into being skinny isn't working. So I think, you know, What's the harm in trying, you know, a different route? Yes, 100%. And I think think the problem, once again, is the subjective nature of health. Because, look, at the end of the day, you could find some 123-year-old Tibetan person who smokes cigarettes, you know? And then are we going to have an argument for, like, smoking is healthy because we have this example of this person who lived this age and smoked every day and, like... To me, it's like, I I think just the name, like when we're just so focused on the metrics of health is like, who gives a shit about like, that's a a deeply personal thing uh, to the degree that we're healthy. I would more argue for like what you want with, you know, we can, we can largely in certainly in America, with the access to um, global wealth that we have, we can build the bodies we want. So if your body is, if you are a video game person for, is if that's your profession or a professional Twitter person or whatever these newfangled professions are that the kids are a TikToker and you, you just have to move for like 30 seconds at a time to do a dance, yeah, who who cares? Health is completely subjective at that point. If you're not trying to live to 123, I'm not trying to live to 123. I don't ever plan on living that long. So the idea of health at every size, it's like you could probably make an argument that anything is healthy at any level uh, and, and find some rare instance where it's true. Um but so I, I I totally agree with you. I, I'm I'm more saying like from I think aesthetics will largely play a bigger part in people changing themselves, even if it's just initially they did for me. Uh, aesthetics and comfort, physical comfort, were the bigger deal. And you know, at first it was this trade off of uh comfort in my routine simply because it's my routine and then disrupting that is uncomfortable but long term that disruption actually led to uh, a much easier lifestyle across the boards because I'm more comfortable physically if that makes sense Um, and at some point health mattered to me but it certainly didn't in the beginning like now I'm excited to look at my blood that's actually a byproduct <laughs> of my aesthetic journey to some degree. Um, I I think that in, in regards to kind of you saying like it, it wasn't something in the beginning, I think it's also something that I experienced at least was not so much in terms of like, uh, you know, clinical like records and like uh, measures of blood and this and that, but how I felt. I never knew that it was like not normal to feel groggy and like blah. I never knew that like I could feel energized. And so I think for a lot of people that, you know, just kind of like not ever experiencing like what it feels like to, you know, 
to be just uh, not, I won't say lighter in terms of your body weight, but just in terms of feeling energized, you know, it took me experiencing that. And like you said, disrupting a routine, getting really uncomfortable. I like the saying, get uncomfortable, being uncomfortable. <laughs> and, but I, I had to go through that to actually realize, okay, yes, there is something to this and that I can actually feel the difference and feel those benefits. Whether they go into it with aesthetic purposes or intentions or they go into it with love for themselves, the majority of the people who are following your path wind up feeling better about themselves and appreciating themselves and having more pride in their bodies than those who don't. Yeah, you know? I, I, I like to think so. <laughs> I think it's a, yeah, I think so. I think that we largely get into a, a place where like the idea that, that there is certainly a crowd um, today that um, wants to block the idea of individual progress. And I, I don't really understand that. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me because I'm for like whatever anybody wants to do with themselves is valid. Right. Well, um, this is actually a great point because like on like in the Instagram fitness world, there was definitely a shift in these last few years. I feel like we're kind of coming out of it now where it's like balancing out, but it was on one extreme of like all aesthetics. Okay. Then it went to the other extreme where it was like, if I shared a transformation from one of the girls in my community people would get mad and they would say like, you're promoting like, you know, people needing to lose weight and, and okay, you, sure. I understand the part of the conversation that Instagram is a visual platform, but that's why I do always try to, you know, to share the right messaging in the caption, but some people just completely disregard that. But th there definitely was a shift where people were being shamed for having a transformation or for losing weight or for, for going after aesthetics. And there was even a point in time where I had to think like, well, what is my role in this? Am I contributing to, you know, diet culture or this or that, you know, but, but like you said, like everyone should feel empowered to do with their body what they want. And even if that's chasing aesthetics, like that should be okay. And I do feel like we are going back to kind of like the pendulum as the pendulum has been swinging, you know, we're kind of finding a middle ground where, you know, people are, you know, not as, I don't know what you want to say, like upset over seeing the, that physical progress, so, which I think is a really important middle ground to be in. Yeah, I don't understand. This came up with Adele. Um, I, do, oh, yeah. I, I do not understand how anybody could ever, you know, if Adele said, I want to gain 20 pounds and then had a picture of herself with 20 more pounds on her as happy as she looked in the one picture of her like quote unquote skinny picture that I saw where she's just ecstatically beaming. I would just be like happy for her that she's happy. You know, at the end of the day, she achieved a goal she set out to achieve what at the end, that's it. That's like the long and short of it for me. She looks happy. I see pictures of Lizzo Lizzo looks happy. I'm happy for Lizzo. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't really understand why there has to be much more to it than that. And then I think it's when we get into the nomenclature of health that it 
you know, and then there's these weird abstract ar- arguments about, um, you know, how obesity uh, weighs on the medical infrastructure and this and that. And I just go like my head starts spinning and I go like, we're not going to get anywhere with this kind of talk, you know, right. I don't think we are. I think we're right. going to the place we get to is with people like you who are empowering people to make the change that they want to make. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I hope that's the case because you're right. There's so much that needs to change in society, you know, and in the system that like we're, we can't, it's, it's clearly not working how, how, how we're approaching it right now. And, you know, I think that, yeah, the people that are screaming from the top of their lungs, at, 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 whether it's Lizzo or Adele, which is on both sides of the spectrum, you know, I think what happens is that people, if it's, you know, like Adele, who was bigger and now she's, you know, she's lost a lot of weight. I think people really like kind of cling on to her and see her as like someone who is bigger and in the spotlight and beautiful and owns it. And then to see them lose weight, they, they feel like the, um, that almost, I don't know if you could say a reverse, you know, projecting, you know, that like somehow that means that she wasn't happy with her body and that other people need to change her body. Like that's not it at all. You know, like what we, I don't know why we need to criticize people for their weight loss or weight gain period. Cause how does, how is that affecting you? Well, how I think it's affecting people is they're just projecting their own feelings and their own kind of weight situation which should, should, that shouldn't be happening, but unfortunately it is. Yeah, and I think that this whole conversation falls squarely on the shoulders of women much more than men because yeah. I have only gotten, for the most part, people saying nice things to me about having lost weight. Um, yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm sure there could be, somebody could take the position that what 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 I've done is promoting weight loss i mean okay yeah i'm happy with my weight loss you know at the end of the day you're so right though and i remember even prior to to, you know when we first chatted um just a few months ago prior to that it was like a few months prior and i had seen your pictures your transformation and my jaw just like dropped and i think i sent it to like several friends and my brother is like did you see this (laughs) you know because like like everyone knows who you are, you know, but like you look like a completely different person, you know, and that was celebrated. That was you know, celebrated. Was but a lot of the messages I got were from kids who remember me from or not kids. None of them are kids anymore because this is going back <laughs> like 25 years. But like kids who said, you know, I, you made me feel like I had a place because I was the overweight uh-huh. kid, which made yeah. me feel like great because i i wanted to you know i i felt that longing for a place too as a kid and then they said and now seeing this change i feel like i could i have hope to do it and i'm like stoked like that's great because i think you can i think anybody can you know um basically uh but i'm i'm making there's no moral claim that it's necessary and there's no uh there's no claim that I right. even think that it, you should do it. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know why right. that is kind of hung on women. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is an odd thing because at the end of the day, uh, 
all the men I know are concerned with how they look. It might not be to the degree that women are because we're yeah. not having these conversations with women, but we are all concerned. Yeah, I think that it probably ties back to um, an element of, of diet culture. And this is something that like, I'm not super well-versed in it. I've learned obviously about it through like social media and everything. I'm still learning about it. So I can't like shout from the rooftops, like exactly like what the problem is. But I do think that just on the very basic level um, in terms of diet culture or just like materialism in the United States and like, like everything is about selling a product to women and women are, the most easily preyed upon because of our nature, because of our wanting to be beautiful and accepted, that we're told that as we are, we're not enough. And just like, you know, this could go in so many different directions, um, whether it's weight or beauty, aesthetics, you know, et cetera. But I, I think that that's just what it comes down to. And I, I do have to say kind of as I try to reflect on myself of why I, I didn't have those issues growing up. As I mentioned, I think one really big element was my, my brother and dad never bringing up my, you know, anything about my appearance. But I think also I never was surrounded by that kind of materialistic consumerist like approach. My brother was very like anarchist, like, you know, like always trying to like break the mold and go against kind of what, society was telling you who you needed to be. And I think I got small pieces of that. And so I do think that there is that element of impact from society that I, I encourage women to like, and sure men too, to not try to fit that mold and to not give into those, you know, the ads and all the marketing that you need to buy something to, to be prettier or to be a more complete person. So anyways, this, you know, this is another rabbit hole, but I, I do think that that's just definitely, you know, one big element and part of it. I love that rabbit hole. That rabbit hole is something I'm trying to destroy every single day. And, and I think it's largely impossible, like to actually remove yourself from the kind of storyline that you're being sold through marketing is impossible. You have to be death deaf and blind and like not ever <laughs> right. read the news and like all of this to really escape marketing. But that said, we can start to examine some of the things we want or think we want and try to see if they've been marketed to us, if that makes sense. Right. And like, I don't know if this is true for you because you had a unique kind of journey being in a foreign country where I just don't know how it, it's being marketed to you. But like the the pull for me to eat fast food was like a real tangible thing that existed, yeah. you know, uh, seeing billboards of of fast food and and commercials and um I mean, I felt drawn to that and I had to work very, very hard to get myself out of that. And now I'm utterly unaffected by like, you know, I McDonald's marketing has no effect on me today. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really, it, I just don't consider it to be food actually. Um, right, right, right. 
I did take one of my kids to eat McDonald's fries uh, about a, uh, six months ago just because she had never had them. And I do think they're pretty damn good fries. So we shared a small bag of fries. <laughs> Um, but it had nothing to do with marketing. It was literally me thinking back to being a kid and going, what are the best French fries? Oh, McDonald's pretty good fries, you know? Um, but I think we can examine these things. I don't know if we can actually, this is like one of those matrix conversations. Like, can you be outside the matrix? I don't know. Yeah, no. And you know what? I have to say, um, kind of when you mentioned it, I was in a different country, so I don't know if it would have the same impact. Um, so one thing that I would say I, I have been, I, I, I can't say it's such a huge insecurity, but I've been conscious of, and it's something that I would like to change is I'm very fair skinned. And of course in the United States, you know, everything is about being bronzed and tan and that just is not my skin. My skin is, if anything, splotchy and red on my arms and my legs and I can't tan cause I'm going to burn. So I've always defaulted to spray tans. And if you look at my Instagram, 90% of my pictures, if not more, I have a spray tan on. Like I'm just always, you know, that's kind of a part of my routine. And sure, you could also say because I'm in fitness, it does make a difference in terms of muscle definition. But like I can be honest and say this has always been kind of somewhat of a fixation for me. So in terms of marketing, when I moved to China, they're all about fair skin and skin whitening products. And I have to say, honestly, I, that was probably the time in my life that I put on the least spray tan. I was the least conscious of it. And that element of like the marketing there kind of celebrating fair skin, it did speak to me and it allowed me to kind of just chill a bit on like not caring about it. And so like, I think that right there is proof that like the marketing and products and the messaging that you're getting from society, like it, you know, it, it, it had, it's impacted me on one level or another. It might be just different than, you know, what you typically hear about, but. Wow. That, I mean, that is wild. Um, (laughs) could you imagine if somebody tried to sell a product like that in America? I, I know. Well, I actually, because of everything that's going on with like Black Lives Matter and everything, um, I saw that one beauty like company is actually discontinuing their skin whitening products, not in the U S because they don't exist here, but it was in another country that does kind of, you know, favor whiter skin. And when I saw that, I was like, Ooh, that's, that's a really bold move because I know from living in China and there are other countries that kind of, you know, have that same uh, beauty standard, like that's a huge industry. So yeah, I mean, definitely it wouldn't fly in the U.S., but it's it's actually fairly common in other countries. Yeah, this is where 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 I start to think that um, you know the just like at, at any point the 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 morals of a generation are just fashion. You know, they're just fashionable, yeah. and and there's no way to really view it while you're in it. You you, you the only way to actually view it is from a distance and the only way to get distance is through time. And so given time, we can look back at a certain point in history and go like, wow, look at what they were doing then. Um, I, do, I, I think it's, it, 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 it's a remarkable thing to try and get out of these um, societal norms that we find ourselves in and, and exist for ourselves. Uh, right. 
and and it, it it's 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 really tough but i think we can do it incrementally you know i think we can yeah. i think we can beat the system in in small in small doses uh yeah I, and you know just to just to add like how you brought up earlier like you know asking if i grew up in social media or not and i said you know i didn't and i am grateful for that but i have to say this is one area that i do think that we can kind of like beat the system in a way because social media has given a platform to so many women that are just being unapologetically themselves and not fitting the mold and that is going to empower the younger women that feel like they don't fit in or you know hopefully to remove some of the pressures, you know, to, to conform. Um, it's just about finding those people and giving them a platform and, you know, um, yeah. So I think that there is, there, there is some kind of bit of, of hacking that, that we can do in, in this current day and age with social media. A hundred percent. Yeah. We have you, we have Lizzo, we have Adele, we have yeah. like, we have good role models, I think. Um, I say that knowing very little about the other two other than, uh, you know, a picture of one and a few sentences from the other. Uh, other than that, I really don't know much about those gals. Um, I, I think I think I've heard some songs that I like, but I think you're right. Uh, I think you're right. We could go down a whole conspiracy theory rabbit hole about how it's all corporate media and they're you know, I I don't know where we get with that. It's 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 probably just a waste of time. There are human beings out there saying positive things, which is good, and you yeah. are one of them, Anna Victoria. And thank you so much for coming and talking to oh, me about it today. Such an honor. This was such a great conversation. Um, yeah, thanks so much for your time, and uh, wishing you the best. And we'll talk again soon. You too. Yes, ma'am. Okay, bye. Bye. And now I will answer some questions we received at AmericanGlutton.net. This question comes from Jason. He asks, what can I do to motivate myself to at least a workout or a loose diet to be ready for when the gym opens back up so that I can easily transition back to it? Uh, so this is like uh, specifically, I guess, a quarantine question um, and transitioning back to the gym. I, I, I personally have continued to work out you know, I've I've definitely missed more days during the quarantine than I did prior to the quarantine. Uh, I didn't really miss a lot of days at the gym prior to the quarantine, and I've definitely missed a few days of my home workout. Not many, but uh, but um, I've missed a couple. I find the quarantine workout to be much harder for me, specifically with what I'm doing, because I'm trying to go a lot heavier than the weights I have at home. And so the weights I have at home, I wind up having to do like six, seven times the reps and I'm doing them very slowly um, to try to get every last bit of, of uh, muscle fatigue. And it just winds up taking a lot longer and it's not as fun. So it is a bit more of a chore than I'm used to experiencing at the gym. Uh, that doesn't answer your question at all. Sorry, that was my own little sob story aside. I would say that getting steps, you know, here's the thing. They they talk, I've I've read countless times that vitamin D is is a really good part of assisting the immune system and and specifically with a lot of these COVID-19 cases, they've noticed a, a 
deficiency in D. And I even was on a, a text chat group with a bunch of my friends and they were talking about the best supplementation for D. And, and I just personally think walking around outside is the best way to uh, defeat a vitamin D deficiency. From everything I've looked at, you can just, and you know, maybe if you live in England, I don't know where you live, Jason, um, and it's overcast all the time uh, and you're not getting enough sunlight, I don't know, then you take a supplementation. I live in California, so we don't have a lot of gray days and I just go outside to try to make sure um, I get my vitamin D. Uh, but, but walking outside is, is a really great and pretty easy way to maintain some kind of fitness. I think in this day and age, it's not necessary anymore to walk around outside. And so we could have a lot of situations, especially during quarantine where we're just sitting and not moving a lot. So I just think make as healthy choices as you possibly can with what you're eating and move your body as much as possible. Thanks for the question, Jason. I hope that was helpful. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.